0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Get Back, Get Back, Get Back to Where You Once Belonged Edition, as I visit with newcomer Trent Taylor, who is looking to get back to the way he performed as a rookie in San Francisco before injuries halted his NFL career. And after my conversation with Trent, I'll talk to Nick Shook, a writer for NFL.com, who recently had a very interesting story about the most disruptive pass rushers in the NFL last year. T.J. Watt of the Steelers was number one, Joey Bosa of the Chargers was number two, and Bengals newcomer Trey Hendrickson was number three. We'll discuss that, plus get Nick's thoughts on the Bengals' offensive line improvements and the likelihood that Joe Burrow will ultimately become one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the Jungle to the Hall Rally. In about two weeks, Saturday, June 19th, Hundreds of Bengals fans from all over the country are heading to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton to make the case that more Bengals should be enshrined, most notably Ken Anderson and Ken Riley. From 10 to 12 that morning, there will be an event at Massillon Washington High School where Paul Brown's coaching career began, and then from 1 to 3, a big rally will take place in a party tent on the grounds of the Hall of Fame. Former Bengals will be involved, in person and virtually, and the Hall of Fame is planning to have a special Cincinnati Bengals exhibit. The hope is that the event will influence the nine voters on the senior committee, and the rally is already getting a lot of publicity. But regardless of that, it's sure to be a great time for everybody that makes the trip. They've even arranged for discounted hotel rooms and Hall of Fame tickets. For more information and to RSVP for the free events, Look up Bengal Jim's BTR on social media. Again, that's Bengal Jim's BTR on Twitter or Facebook. And who day to all the Bengals fans who are planning to attend the Jungle to the Hall rally. Now, let's get to Trent Taylor. When the Bengals held the recent rookie minicamp, most of the attention went to number one draft pick Jamar Chase. But while watching video and looking at photos of number one, Some Bengals fans were surprised and miffed to see another wide receiver wearing A.J. Green's old number 18. As it turned out, it wasn't a rookie. It was Trent Taylor, who spent the last four years with the San Francisco 49ers. The former Louisiana Tech star who led the nation in receiving yards as a senior, promptly signed with the Bengals after the minicamp, and is now wearing the number 11. Taylor is undersized at 5'8", but had an excellent rookie year as a slot receiver in San Francisco before encountering back and foot injuries. I spoke to the 27-year-old this week. Trent, after four years in San Francisco where you built some uh, great friendships, describe what it's like to start over with a new team.
1: Uh, it's an exciting time for sure. It's, um, you know, kind of uh, you do your four years in high school, four years in college, and I did my four years in San Francisco, so I just naturally time to move on i guess it just kind of worked out like that but uh yeah it's an exciting time like it all it always is starting with a new team uh right now i'm just getting to know all my teammates uh meeting everybody and all the coaches and everything and uh so far so good everybody seems like uh cool good people uh so yeah just still getting to know everybody right now
0: george kittle posted a heartfelt tribute to you on instagram after you signed with the Bengals saying it's hard to think about not lacing up the cleats with you next year sounds like the two of you built a very strong bond what did that message mean
1: yeah we uh so it started we were training together um before the nfl combine and all that coming out of college uh that's where we first met met each other and uh out there in frisco texas uh we just became great friends we would always Like on the weekends we would go to the uh dallas stars hockey games uh we would do whatever you know we would hang out that's when we started to become great friends and then um we both got drafted to the 49ers uh he was the early fifth round pick and i was uh the late fifth round pick so it was you know an instant like we facetimed each other screaming and yelling Hmm. and uh so yeah all of our time in san francisco together we were roommates um, and just like continued to grow as great friends together um, you know I was in his wedding he's going to be in my well I actually had a COVID wedding this past year and he was the the one single guest that I had there with me along with his wife uh, Claire um, so yeah we um, definitely created a lifelong friendship together um, so it kind of sucks to be able to, to to have to leave friends like that but you know it's 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 part of the game and you know we both have houses in nashville now um so we'll always be friends um continuing on from this
0: his rise to stardom must be awesome for you to be that close to him
1: oh yeah it, it's it's been amazing to watch that because uh you know after our rookie year we both had 43 catches i think you know we tied with catches so the bet, like I was like, I bet you like two hundred bucks that you know I'll have more catches than you this year, and that's like when he actually broke the uh, tight ends all time record for receptions, or he broke the uh, the yards record, I think, not receptions. But that's when he like completely started going off, and I was like, ooh, I kind of regret <laughs> regret doing that. But uh, yeah, it's been so much fun watching him uh, progress and just become the the big
0: superstar that he is these days. Did he hold you to the bet?
1: Yeah, I paid him for it. I paid <laughs> him for
0: it. Yeah. We're talking to uh, Trent Taylor. So you mentioned 43 catches as a rookie. You got off to a great start. And then the injuries kicked in. What have you had to overcome?
1: You know, rookie year went good for me. Um, I, had, I had back surgery going into my second year. So my third year um, training camp, I fractured my foot and uh, I was only supposed to miss like one or two games starting the season, but then uh, there's an an infection in my foot, Um, so my foot got infected, which caused me, which they only thought it was gonna like take three or four more weeks, but it actually ended up being, um, I missed the whole season Um, because the infection in my foot, it was like really hard for them to get it out. Um, So a bunch of surgeries happened um, for them to make that happen Um, So I literally, like the whole season, I was just sitting on the couch uh, with my foot, you know, trying to get it um, back healthy, getting the infection out of it. Um, And that's when we went to the Super Bowl. So it was was a super tough year for me just to have to sit back and watch my guys go to the Super Bowl without me when it was like something that was out of my control, which is like an infection in my foot. You know, it'd be different if it was because like I injured myself playing football, but Um, Just the fact that it was like a doctor kind of messed up my foot a little bit, and that's the reason that it held me out. Um, That one stung a little bit. So uh, just some unfortunate events for me like that um, in San Francisco. So it, it was kind of a tough ride, so I'm ready for a fresh start here in Cincinnati.
0: That foot injury sounds like really scary stuff. I think anybody that followed Alex Smith's leg injury knows how Serious? Uh, an infection can be after surgery. Were you in danger right. of losing the foot or anything dire like that?
1: No, it was nothing crazy like that. But um, it was just a, like they would think that the infection was going to be clear. So then we wait a couple of weeks and then they go back and look at it again. And it's like, oh, wow, it's still in the bone. Mm. So we had to like explore a bunch of different methods. Um, I had I had a PIC line in my arm, um, injecting myself with um, antibiotics for six weeks. I think.
0: Wow. Um, so that yeah, that was just a
1: miserable time dealing with that. But um, yeah, nothing like what Alex Smith was dealing with. That, that's that stuff's a whole other level.
0: We're talking to Trent Taylor. So you signed with the Bengals after getting a tryout at the rookie minicamp a few weeks ago, and it was interesting because. There were 22 players there, and you were the only one with real NFL experience. Did it feel a little bit strange? And did the rookies know that you were an accomplished NFL vet?
1: Uh, yeah, it definitely felt weird. <laughs> um, like you, you can kind of tell, just like talking to guys and working out with guys, um, guys who you know know how the league works, and guys who are uh, completely new to it. Um, but I don't think I don't think anybody really knew that I was a veteran. Um, because like towards the end, when we were catching punts, it got brought up somehow and everybody was like, Oh dang, like you, you used to be with the 49ers. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've done this before, man. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a different time for me, you know, something I've never experienced having to, you know, travel around and like try out for a team like that. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we made it
0: work here uh, in Cincinnati. Now, did they have you go through that tryout more or less just to see if you were healthy? Because obviously, you know, you can put on the tape and see what you've accomplished in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, it was normal. Um, I'm glad that I got to do it, you know, with the rookies because usually like a workout, you kind of go and you're out there by yourself just running routes while, while they watch you, and it's just, you know it's a lot more fun whenever you're running routes with other guys and you have actual quarterbacks throwing to you. Um, so, yeah, I
0: was glad I was able to join in with the rookies and do it that way. It's just, it's a lot easier. Now, the other thing that caused a bit of a stir was the fact that you were wearing A.J. Green's number 18. You switched to number 11 after signing with the Bengals, but were you amused or annoyed by the outrage that people seemed to have? Oh
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty funny, honestly. Like, I never even thought about it i just you know once it was over i guess they like posted pictures of me wearing 18 at the rookie minicamp and um i just open up my twitter and there's like all these people who are so angry with me for some reason i'm just like so confused but i mean aj green i mean he's the man he's, he's a complete baller so you know i understand where they're coming from that's that's how fans are um it is what it is but um, I definitely knew
0: not to keep number 18
1: on my chest. That was, <laughs> I knew that one for sure.
0: Well, 11 looked good at practice last week. Uh, we're talking to Trent Taylor. The Bengals lost Alex Erickson in free agency, and he's had the role the last few years of being kind of a backup slot receiver to Tyler Boyd and then obviously the primary punt returner. And you have performed those roles in the past for San Francisco. Do you see this as kind of a natural replacement for the job he had
1: uh yeah i feel like that that could easily become my role um i think i proved myself as a turner, returner uh, a guy who can um get the job done in this league so um i mean i obviously got to go prove it every day but um yeah i feel like that could be um a good role for me and obviously uh tb tyler boyd is a I mean, he, he's a great athlete and a a, a baller, obviously, um, in that F position. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But um, the offense here is a lot is a lot better for me, you know, for a guy like me. Because in San Francisco, we had Kyle Youchek at tight end, which would take our uh, at fullback, which would take a lot of time from that third receiver spot. Um, which uh, Juice, he's like obviously a baller at fullback and can do a lot of things for offense. Um, But we don't have a fullback here at Cincinnati, which is good for that third receiver. Um, You know, a lot more opportunities for guys like me um, to come into the game and make play.
0: Yeah, no question. More three receiver sets than any other team in the NFL over the last couple of years. What stood out to you? Yeah, what stood out to you about the wide receiver group in the first few days of OTAs? My parents
1: asked me about it and I told them, I said, we might have the best receiver group in the NFL, I believe, if, if obviously, uh, you know, Jamar Chase can come in and be um, a baller like he did all throughout his college years, which I believe he definitely will. Um, we're looking at like a pretty lethal group at receiver. So I'm just, I'm excited to be a part of it and to um, get this offense rolling.
0: Does the possibility of playing with Joe Burrow excite you?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, you you, you uh, watched him his rookie year, and uh, he, he obviously has what it takes to be a baller in this league uh, for a long time. You know, he's got the right mentality. And, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to work with a guy like that. And, uh, you know, just the, the fire that he brings to the game is something that isn't normal as a quarterback, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, it's
0: going to be fun playing with him for sure. In December, the Bengals host your former team. Have you given any thought to what it'll be like to line up against the 49ers?
2: Yeah,
1: I, I'm I'm really excited about that one. I've already uh, joked with you know the strength staff over there and some of the coaches. I
0: say if I score a touchdown, I'm I'm throwing the ball at you on the sidelines. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, I'll definitely you
1: know have a nice little chip on my shoulder for that one. Um, hopefully, I ball out and get to shove it in their face but um I mean it's all love at the end of the at the end of the day I I respect all those guys over there um Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the whole um the whole coaching staff they're all great people and I, I definitely appreciate everything they did for me in my time there so uh it's all love at the end of the day
0: All right, last thing for Trent Taylor, I was glancing at your bio <laughs> and you were a great all-around athlete in high school that's not all that unusual for an nfl football player but in your case did you really take up tennis as a high school senior and make it to the state doubles final
1: yes that that is true um yeah we so me and my quarterback and you know we were both just natural athletes ourselves uh dakota duron is his name but uh you know we always played tennis for fun we're like dude senior year, like let's just join the team, it'll be a blast. And so uh we were doubles partners together and we made it all the way to the to the state championship match. You know, we we beat everyone throughout the state tournament, made it to the finals and got beat um in the championship game, which I think we I think the whole tennis community like hated
0: us so much because we were known we were known as like the two football guys
1: because you know, uh, we just went to the state championship in football that year, and so everyone knew us pretty well, and um,
0: so yeah, we were known as like the football guys, that's why everyone knew us as at the,
1: the state tennis tournament, and uh, you know, we kind of had, had a little edge about us, you know, we would talk trash, you know, poor kids in tennis, you know, they probably haven't seen much of that, but <laughs> uh, we, we talked trash to a lot of them, and I think we got in most people's heads. I think that's why we won most of the games, honestly, which was probably, like, not nice at all. But, you know, that's how we were. We were just out there having fun with it. And, yeah, and made
0: it all the way to the state. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. It was, it was a good time. The football guys crashed the party. Is, is there... Yeah, yeah, they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. <laughs> is there footage of that on YouTube or, or somewhere where people can see it? I... I don't
1: know honestly i don't think so i don't think there's anything online of that i might i might need to
0: find some videos and post them for y'all that would be very entertaining hey trent this was this was great i really appreciate your time welcome to cincinnati and we look forward to watching you play all right yeah thanks for having me i'm looking forward to it the bengal's booth podcast is presented by bud light seltzer it's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor Last week, there was a story on NFL.com about the top 10 pass-rushing disruptors in the NFL last year. That stat combines hurries, pressures, and sacks to determine who is most effective at rushing the quarterback. Former Bengal Carl Lawson was number seven on the list. The free agent that the Bengals signed to replace him, Trey Hendrickson, checked in at number three. I spoke to the author of the article, Nick Shook about that and much more. Nick, I reached out after reading your recent story on NFL.com about the top 10 disruptors of 2020 and new Bengal Trey Hendrickson checked in at number three ahead of Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald, among others. Uh, I know you are not saying that he's better than those two guys, but explain the stat and what it says about the Bengals uh, acquisition of Trey Hendrickson. Well,
2: I know you're not. You, you, I know that uh, you know that I, I, I'm not saying he's better, but I would like to inform all of Twitter that because they think otherwise
0: when they just see a ranking next to these
2: names. Um, well, the thing with with Trey Hendrickson that that put him so high on this list was the fact that you know he got home, and when I say that, I mean you know on his pass rushes, he was getting to the quarterback and bringing him down. He wasn't just getting close and maybe pressuring him or causing a, a hurry or anything like that. He was finishing the job. I mean. He was near or, at, uh, or in the league lead for sacks for the majority of the season, and he had the highest sack rate of any player on this list. I mean, of any player in the history of next-gen stats, which dates back to uh, 2016, at over 4%. Is the only guy to ever break 4%. So, you know, I think that you're getting a guy who ideally replaces somebody you lost also on this list, and Carl Lawson who ended up in seventh. Um, but – you hope that it's not a flash in the pan thing he you know he he came from college with the reputation for getting after the quarterback and it's almost like he just happened to finally blossom uh in the final year of his his deal and you know at the perfect time but again he was playing opposite tamra jordan so it does make you wonder you know was he benefiting from that or not we'll find out i think in cincinnati this year but he's i mean he's he's a big get for the Bengals, no doubt
0: We are talking to Nick Shook from NFL.com. Let's talk about the Bengals' pass rush in general because it was pretty anemic last year. Last in the NFL in sacks, 29th in pass rush win rate according to ESPN. They signed Trey. They signed Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, They've got DJ Reeder coming back from injury. They drafted four defensive linemen, including Joseph Osai, in the third round. What do you think of the group and the likelihood that the Bengals' pass rush will be much improved?
2: Um, You know, I I think even having guys healthy um, would help you a lot. I think, you know, Geno Atkins and and what was going on with him in the last couple of years didn't really help him either. So I'm a big fan of Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, From his time with the Browns, I got to know him fairly well when I worked for the team, and, you know, I love his approach. Uh, He's a very hard worker. He's an under the radar guy who, you know, he makes some plays here and there that, that might catch somebody's attention and then maybe set the expectation a little too high and then they get disappointed. But that's not the type of player he is. He's not, you know, he's not your Warren Sapp interior rusher. He's just going to break through and sack the quarterback. But what he's going to do is cause problems. He's rarely going to get pushed back. He's going to jam up the middle despite not being 330 pounds or whatever. So he's going to be effective in there. And I think he works really well in tandem. And I think DJ Reader is going to help out with that. Uh, you know, provided that he can come back healthy after missing most of last year. And, you know, Hendrickson, we already talked about. Um, and and I like Joseph Osai, I do. I thought that he got drafted later than I expected. Uh, raw in the fact that he was an inside linebacker at Texas before making a position change and, and clearly becoming, you know, the edge that he was supposed to be. You know, he's a little stiff in the hips. He doesn't quite have that natural bend yet. But I think it's great value for the Bengals, and and if they give him a long road, he could become a very productive player. He's also not somebody that you're going to have to immediately rely on. So uh, overall, what I learned from that draft and from this offseason with the Bengals, at least on the defensive side of the ball, is they acknowledged that they were weak in the trenches and they needed to get better, because what can you do if you can't stop the run?
0: Not much. So um, it it was an encouraging offseason for them. All right, speaking of the draft, there was a heated national debate before the first round. Should the Bengals give Joe Burrow another weapon, Jamar Chase, or improve his protection with Panay Sewell? Where were you before the draft, and what do you think about what the Bengals did after the fact?
2: Well, my background is in offensive line, so I was leaning towards Sewell because I think Sewell is is, um, potentially a generational tackle. I mean, the, the kid's super impressive. He was coming out of high school, going to Oregon you know, routinely when you pull up his clips, you're seeing him block one or two guys of play. Um, sometimes he takes them on at the same time. But I do understand um, the, the the allure of the receiver and uh, Jamar Chase, who was fantastic when he last played football, which was with Joe Burrow at LSU two seasons ago. And, and I understand, you know, you're replacing a, a, a role, you know, owned by A.J. Green. You've got T. Higgins coming back after a very impressive rookie season. And you still have Tyler Boyd as well, who I think is another under-the-radar guy who could you know, really explode, I think, in the right uh, set of circumstances. So if you combine all of that, then, yeah, adding Jamar Chase makes sense. You have a trio of receivers, and, and you can't overlook any of them. It's going to give nightmares to all the opposing defenses, not to mention you have a rushing attack led by Joe Mixon that's, that is formidable. So I do understand going for the weapon over the tackle. I just think that I always personally prefer to invest in high-quality offensive linemen because – Provided they can stay healthy, that's something that you don't have to worry about for five to ten years, and, and you can't put, I think, a price on that. But I think they were in a great spot either way to, to get a, a prime-time player in either Sewell or Chase. I think they'll be happy regardless.
0: In the interest of full disclosure, I was also in favor of Panay Sewell before the draft, but at the end of round one, when I looked at the available linemen left in comparison to the available wide receivers left, I think the Bengals got it right.
2: I would agree. I would agree. Um, you know, it's funny because the year prior, we had spent so much time talking about how strong the receiver class was. And then you saw them flying off the board at a faster rate this year. Um, and and, and the, whereas, you know, the, the tackle class last year was very good, but there were more linemen that you could see becoming very solid offensive linemen in the NFL available on day two. And, and I thought they did that pretty well with Jackson Carmen when they spent that pick. Um, it, it addresses an area that's not – quite a need uh, depending on how you want to you know set out your starting five but it gives you depth and and frankly you know from this point last year to now I thought the Bengals had done a spectacular job with remaking their offensive line I think they lucked out with the Quentin Spain thing and and how he ended up in Cincinnati Um, but overall I think they've done a great job with that so it wasn't you know I got a lot of texts that you know they're never going to keep Joe Burrow upright um, you know, they're, he's going to have a dirty jersey. He's going to be on the ground all afternoon because they selected a receiver instead of a tackle in the first round, not realizing that the draft is more than one round, and and that they'd had a quietly a very good offseason in remaking that group. So, um, yeah, it, it sometimes I think it's tough to make a decision one way or the other, and we really won't know what the right move was for years down the road. But I I feel very confident that no matter who they had taken there, that they they'd be happy.
0: Well, hearing you use the words "spectacular job" in remaking the offensive line is music to the ear of uh, Bengals fans because the simple fact that they didn't take Panay Sewell has led to the reaction from some that ah, oh, they're they're just neglecting the offensive line, ignoring the fact that they signed Riley Reeve, they drafted Jackson Carmen, they drafted two other offensive linemen, they retained Quinton Spain as you mentioned, and. They went out and brought uh, Frank Pollock back to be their offensive line coach, widely considered to be one of the better ones in the NFL.
2: Yeah, you know, that type of investment is what was sorely needed. And I think exactly what you have to do after you spend the number one overall pick on a franchise quarterback of the future and, uh, you know like i said i think they, they did they did do a very solid job there and, and you know none of them are splash signings necessarily i thought riley reef is a very solid signing but it's not a splash signing i loved quentin spain when he was with the bills and, and when he ended up in Cincinnati, i was like that's a that's a perfect fit um it, it, but it doesn't attract the eye of, of the average fan because how many fans are are doing what, what i do which is like pay very close attention to the offensive linemen and and their footwork and their steps on a play-by-play basis while most everyone else is is following the ball it's just because i'm a line nerd it's not necessarily (laughs) because i'm smart or anything so uh, you know those types of players who you know they can come in and make a contribution make a difference and aren't going to grab the headlines well then you know it starts to become a very solid um effort that they put forth and and they do have depth that i really like too you know i liked billy price coming out of ohio state I, i was actually there watching his bench press when he tore his pack, which is a bummer. Um, but I, I like him as a backup. Um, you know, Xavier Suofilo, he's got some experience being a backup, kind of a swing guy. I mean, I think Jackson Carmio, you know, he was a highly rated recruit coming out of high school. You guys know he's from that area. And um, before he went to Clemson, you know, flipped on Ohio State and went to Clemson. Uh, I think you can't argue with that type of, um, you know, potential there as well. So I think it's a much better situation than it was a year ago, and they deserve to be commended for
0: it. We are talking to self-proclaimed line nerd Nick Shook from NFL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at TheNickShook, S-H-O-O-K. You do a lot of work with uh, next-gen stats for NFL.com, and you teased recently on Twitter that you're going to be writing about the top 10 coverage guys from last season uh, sometime this month. And there was a graphic that accompanied your tweet that showed that Bengals cornerback Darius Phillips Ranked third in the NFL last year in something that uh, Next Gen Stats calls ball hawk rate. I also saw that they tweeted out that he ranked fourth in the NFL in tight window rate, uh, meaning he is forcing tight windows. Is Darius Phillips underrated?
2: So, when it comes to Next Gen Stats, we have the benefit of of
0: the tracking data that. They can
2: tell us exactly where players are at specific moments, you know, relative to the players near them, how fast the ball is going, how fast they're traveling, what angle they're moving at, all this stuff that kind of helps us get an idea of how prepared or how well they put themselves in a position to make a play on the ball, which is what the tight window thing is. How close are they to the targeted receiver when the pass arrives? Usually you want to be within three yards. Most of these guys that you're going to see on these lists are within three yards. So forcing a tight window on a, on a consistent basis tells us what we already see with our eyes, which is oh, he's all over him. He's, he's, he's a blanket cover guy, you know, even potentially a shutdown corner guy. Ball hawk rate is where, in that situation, that player's going to end up making a play on the ball. It's kind of the next step in the process. And a play on the ball could be a pass def- uh, defended or it could be an interception. Um, if you have a high ball hawk rate and a tight high tight, tight window rate, that means that basically you more often than not more often than, than most defensive backs in the NFL, are very close to the receiver who's targeted, and you're play, making a play on the ball more often than most guys. I think ball hawk rate is very important, provided that you have, I think, a, enough of a baseline of uh, you know targets over the season. So like the piece I'm working on right now, we have a minimum of 40 targets. We have a minimum of 300 pass coverage snaps. Darius Phillips didn't play the full season last year finished a 290 pass coverage snaps, so he's not going to end up on that list but if he if we had dropped that down to let's say 250 275 pass coverage snaps then suddenly he's pretty high up there on the list because of things like ball hawk rate tight window there's some other stats as well that that we kind of rely on to to kind of figure out you know who's the best in in covering in all areas you know one of them being um, completion percentage over or under expectation allowed which is kind of a complicated thing where when a pass is thrown, you know not to get too deep in the weeds, but when a pass is thrown, based on all the data of everybody on the field at the same time and where they are in the location, and everything else, there's a there's a probability, a likelihood that that pass is going to be completed. If a defensive back then forces an incompletion on a pass that was likely to be completed, stretch that over an entire season, all the coverage snaps that they have, you end up getting um, how much of a difference they're making if their completion percentage under expectation is a negative number that means they're doing well whereas receivers if it's a negative number that means you're doing poorly because you're not catching as much as the expectation uh, you know sets for you to catch That's you're basically not doing the job you're expected to do so um that's another number that we use he's also pretty high up there um in those numbers this will actually have it in front of me right now he's a negative 5.1 percent which is going to be among some of these guys that are on this list he's not going to be on this list again because he doesn't hit the total pass coverage snaps necessary at just 290. When I set the baseline to 300 to get a good volume, but I do think all of this this very long winded explanation has told uh, us is that you know this is a guy who I think is on the rise. I'm a Mac guy myself, so I love anybody who's coming out of a Mac school, and uh, and I think he's one to continue watching in a secondary that's probably going to need to rely on him a little bit more going forward.
0: We're talking to Nick Shook from NFL.com. Bengals fans have been very encouraged by the sight of Joe Burrow taking part in OTAs over the past couple of weeks. What did you think of Joe as a rookie, and what do you think of his chances of ultimately becoming one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL?
2: I think it's a great chance. Um, when I was, I went to the uh, Bengals-Browns game on Thursday night, week two, sit in the press box just watching him drop back to throw. and throw, and I'm familiar with Joe and uh, in, in his, you know, performance going back to high school when he was in Athens, Athens High School, he actually beat my alma mater uh, in the state semifinals uh, that year when he was, you know, slinging it down there for Athens. So, um, you know, he he ends up going to Ohio State. We all know the the career progression, you know, from there to LSU and everything else. And and I think that it's all just fit right in line with with who he is. I think he's grown as a passer, but what I've seen more than anything is he's got that that brain of a coach's son. He's got the composure of a coach's son. I mean, week two, I was sitting in the press box and and watching him sit in the pocket like he's been in the league for five or ten years. Delivering the ball while that offensive line was still trying to figure it out. Miles Garrett is coming after him while Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson and all those guys are coming after him. Moxie. I mean, total composure through the ball over 50 times, nearly through the Bengals to a victory in that one. Um, and I thought that he was the leading candidate for offensive rookie of the year until he got hurt. And, you know, that kind of cleared the way for Justin Herbert to run away with that award, which I don't think was necessarily a full runaway. I thought Justin Jefferson had a pretty strong case as well. But, um, the sky is the limit. I think for Joe Burrow, as long as you protect him and you surround him with weapons, which it seems like the the Bengals have done, I think that you know he's only going to go up from here. Is you know, if we can guarantee that his knee is fine, which advances in modern medicine make me think that that's probably not going to be much of an issue. You just got to keep him upright. That's the biggest thing, and um, I think otherwise, you know, as long as he can come back from this injury and have that same confidence, he just picks up where he left off and, and
0: continues on up. Yeah, you saw 61 attempts in that Week 2 game. I might want to cut down that a little bit uh, in in order to increase the likelihood that he'll be upright, but obviously you want to use that weapon as well as much as you can. Uh, The Bengals are obviously in a very tough division with three teams that won at least 11 games last year, and and, uh, those three teams made the playoffs. What does success look like for the Bengals this year, in your opinion?
2: That's a tough one because... I expect, you know, those other three teams to be very competitive. They should all be – maybe – I don't know about the Steelers as much. We'll see. But I expect the Browns and and Ravens to be battling for the division title just based on roster construction, their trajectory. Um, But I think success for the Bengals is playing competitively, which they showed last year before Joe got hurt, that they were a competitive football team. Now they've had another offseason to add talent and kind of, you know, get better. So I think success for them is you flirt with 500 – you don't necessarily have to hit 500. Well, we don't really have 500 anymore with 17 games. Mm-hmm. But you know, nine and eight, eight and nine. You try to get in that range, and, um, and 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 you demonstrate progress. You demonstrate that we're maybe a couple more pieces away. We're not that far away. We just need another off season. We need another year to grow as a team, starting to come together. I think that is success. Anything above that, you have to be, you know, um, over the moon if you're a Bengals fan just because of the difficulty of the division and the fact that every division game is going to be tough. There are going to be no, no cakewalks whatsoever for any team in this division, and that, that includes those playing against the Bengals because the Bengals are a competitive football team, at least when they have their starting quarterback healthy. So it's going to be a tough one for them. They, this might be the, the best division of football. If not, it's definitely one of the best, and unfortunately for the Bengals, they're not among that group yet but I don't think that they're that far
0: away from turning that corner. And this could be uh, the first step this year. Well, they had a tie last year. So eight, eight and one is the new 500. Let's go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it happens, people heard it first on this podcast, Nick, (laughs) uh, I I really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. And I look forward to reading about the, uh, the top 10 corners, even though Darius Phillips did not have enough snaps to qualify.
2: Yeah, you know what? Next year, he needs to play more than 12 games, and he'll get that. He'll probably get that number even in 12 games. Uh, no doubt next year. Thanks for having me on, Dan. I really
0: appreciate it. All right, thank you. My thanks to Nick Shook and Trent Taylor, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.